Welcome to another episode of Bereans Podcast. Each week we share a message from the Bible and examine it to understand and learn to apply it to our lives. The hope is that through the wisdom of the scriptures, we will all be encouraged to make real life change and that the power of the gospel will transform our lives. Thanks for listening and enjoy this episode of the Berean Podcast that starts right now. Church, you know how there's an expression, something about how a fish doesn't even notice the water because it's just simply in it? Is this a Canadian thing or something? (laughs) Right? There's something out there. There's an expression out there, something about that. I want to take a minute and make sure that you're not a fish swimming in the water who doesn't notice the water itself. You see, because it's been about a year and a half since my wife and I have been here at Berean, and I hope that you understand something. That Berean is a special place. That Berean is a unique and special church. And I'm not just saying that because they pay me to say it. That is not in my contract. But from the depths of my heart, I want to say thank you because the the community, the love, the support, the friendships, the the relationships that we've been able to to build here has been incredible. It's been life-giving and it's been a, a joy for us in so many different ways. And this last year has featured a lot of transition and change for our family. I mean, we moved from a different country, from Canada, and came down here, and although I was somewhat familiar with American culture and history and so forth, like, you know, our music and our TV is largely, heavily influenced by, by America. I've always followed American politics more than Canadian. It's just so much more juicy down here. <laughs> There's better sound bites, stuff that tweets a little bit better. But there's one area that I'm still wrestling to get my mind around to understand fully, and it's the medical system. So when we came down here, you know, we're setting up life and I have to import my vehicle and change all my cell phones and every technological um, device that I had, I had to change the settings to make it be locally based here. And it was quite a process. And one of the most confusing aspects of it was what do we do with the medical system? So what's covered, what's not, what's an HSA, how do I use that? I got all these logins, all of these emails from all of these different kind of corporations. It was a lot to process. And so early on, I said to my wife, can we just agree as a family not to get sick for a couple of months. So I don't know what that means if we just need to up the kids' vitamin doses. They like those little gummy candies anyway. But it was just simply overwhelming. So hey, let's not get sick for a little while. Because when you're sick, what do you need? You need to go to a doctor. You need somebody who can help you. And today from Mark chapter 2, 
Jesus is going to explain the exact same thing. That it's not the healthy who need a doctor, those who think they have it all figured out, those who think they have all the answers, those who think they have arrived. It's not the healthy, it's the sick. And far beyond simply speaking about physical need, Jesus is going to be here in Mark chapter 2 talking about our spiritual need. That those who are sick, who recognize that they're a sinner, those are the ones he came to heal and came to save. So if you have your Bibles, I hope you do, turn with me to Mark chapter 2. Mark chapter 2. I'm going to look at verses 13 through 17. I'm going to start today by making a few kind of what I would call exegetical comments, explaining some of what's happening, and then we'll look at some central uh, incredible truths that this passage teaches us. So if you're able, I want to invite you to stand with me as I read Mark chapter 2, beginning in verse 13. This is the word of the Lord. He, that is Jesus, went out again beside the sea and all the crowds were coming to him and he was teaching them. And as he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And he rose and followed him. And as he reclined at the table in his house, Many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. And the scribes of the Pharisees, when they saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, said to his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? And when Jesus heard it, he said to them, those who are well have no need of a physician." but those who are sick do. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to him. So go ahead and grab a seat. Now let me explain a few of the, the people, the places, and some of the situational con- in the context here of the passage that we've just read. So Jesus is continuing his ministry by the sea. He is teaching the crowd and he sees this man called Levi. Now Levi, as you, as you read um, throughout the rest of the New Testament, you understand church history, Levi is actually Matthew. Matthew, who would go on to become one of the 12 disciples and he would, he would pen and author one of the biblical gospels. Now let's see how good you know your Bible. Can you guess which gospel Matthew wrote? It was the gospel of Matthew. And Matthew goes from a tax collector to a disciple to an author of one of the biblical gospels. And then, according to the church fathers and the early church writers, he began his ministry publicly. Matthew, after the resurrection and ascension of Jesus, he goes into Judea and begins to preach and do his ministry. After a little period of time, he actually goes down south into Egypt and continues his ministry there. In Egypt, he leads a young lady to the faith, and she becomes a Christian. And her father is the king. 
And after her father dies and a new king comes to power, there's an issue. Because this new king is obsessed with this young lady, with this princess. And he is obsessed with marrying her. In part, perhaps, to bolster his claim to the throne, but also because, according to Matthew, he just was overcome with lust for her. So Matthew, in a church service, is preaching, and he calls out this new king for his evil attitude and for his lust. And the king overhears this and orders him to be instantly executed. So there, in a church service, Matthew is executed is killed for his faith, becomes a martyr. This is where Levi is going to end up, as a martyr, as a disciple, as a biblical writer, as a missionary, and finally as a martyr. But this isn't where he started. Because we are told that this Levi, the son of Alphaeus, is sitting at the tax booth. Meaning Matthew is a tax collector. Now in this day and age, Israel was ruled, was under Roman rule. Rome was a significant and powerful empire. And Rome was able to maintain control of such a huge territory because they did things slightly different than those who had come before. Oftentimes in the past, when empires would come, they would just disrupt everything for the people. They would completely overhaul their languages and their, um, their locations. They would move people around and they would, they would ban certain religions. It was just very controlling. And understandably, people would revolt. And it caused problems and issues. Rome came in and basically said, listen, we don't really care who you worship or how. What we really want are the taxes. So they installed tax collectors who would garner and gain taxes from import, from trade, and so forth. Then the local tax collector would kick that up the chain and eventually it would make its ways to the coffers in Rome. All of this was utterly unacceptable if you were a Jewish person in this day and age. They hated Roman rule. And thus they hated anybody who had an association with Rome. And this tax collector would have been hated by his peers. We know historically, and even from, you know, um, more recent examples, and in a situation like this, you don't need to be a psychologist of human behavior to understand that if there's not a lot of accountability and you give people a lot of authority, they're going to be skimming off the top. And so you have that old component mixed in, that they were viewed, these tax collectors, as untrustworthy and less than desirable, as traitors even. And in the end, a tax collector is the exact type of person that you would expect the Messiah to avoid. And yet Jesus sees him sitting right there at the tax booth and says to him, 
follow me. Just like the calling of Simon, of Andrew, of James and John in chapter one, Levi, Matthew, is invited to follow Jesus. This despised and outcast man hears the call of Jesus and he follows. We're told that he invites Jesus, it seems from the the flow of the Greek, more than likely into his own house And there he gathers many tax collectors and sinners around him. And this term, or this kind of title of tax collectors and sinners, is going to be used over and over. Basically a shorthand for all the undesirable people in society. The tax collectors and sinners. But here Jesus is reclining with them in the Roman style. Sharing a meal together. Lounging around food, enjoying each other's company, enjoying a feast or a banquet. And what you see consistently in the Gospels is that Jesus, he just does things different. And you would expect him to have no association with people like this. That's our natural human kind of gut reaction. And this is the exact reaction that the scribes And the Pharisees had. They had a problem with this. Now it says in verse 16 that the scribes of the Pharisees, so this group called the Pharisees is going to come up time and time again in the Gospels. They are Jesus's primary opponents from an earthly standpoint in the Gospels. They resist him. They argue with him. They oppose him, whether directly or through more indirect and conniving means. They're always setting themselves against Jesus. They were a religious sect within Judaism. And the word Pharisee comes from the Aramaic word, meaning separate, separate, divided, or or set apart, distinguished. And they kept themselves apart theologically and socially. They were the gatekeepers of religious truth, so they thought. They had learned, they had studied, they viewed themselves as the righteous. They claimed to follow the Old Testament law, which is a good thing. But they missed the heart of it. You see, they were concerned about the outward where even in the Old Testament, God is consistently driving at the inward. And so these Pharisees would come and they would say, okay, God has given us his parameters and that's good. God has drawn a line in the sand here. He says, do not go over this. Well, that's good, God, but I'll do you one better. I'll draw a line over here. So that way I won't even go close. And there was this consistent desire to self-justify they eventually made it all about the outside and neglected the inside. They held sway and authority for almost 300 years as the dominant religious voice in Israel. And they hated Jesus. Because why would Jesus 
this new rabbi-like teacher, this one who we hear is doing miracles, this one who has this messianic kind of vibe to him as he starts his ministry, why in the world would he associate with tax collectors and sinners? Why would he go near them? Why would he eat with them? Now, Jesus is going to run into them time and time again. But even here, at this initial conflict, we see that they simply don't get it. And then Jesus goes on to explain to them that they're missing the whole point. It's not the so-called healthy who need a doctor. It's the sick. It's those who know they're not well. He has not come to call the so-called self-righteous, those who are righteous in their own eyes, but sinners to repentance. So in light of that kind of walkthrough, what do we see here? Well, let me offer you two incredible truths from this conflict and from this encounter. Here's the first incredible truth. Jesus calls sinners to follow him. Do you see from a human perspective the insanity of this? Does your heart leap with joy at the amazement of such a truth that Jesus calls sinners? Sinners like you? Sinners like me? To follow him? To be in relationship to him? To be close to him? To eat with him? To have fellowship with him? Jesus calls sinners to follow him. Now let's talk about what this doesn't mean. Okay? What this doesn't mean is that Jesus, Jesus is just cool with sin. Right? You know, Jesus hung out with sinners. He ate with them. So if he's cool with them, well, then he's cool with whatever you want to do in your life. Well, no, Jesus hung out with sinners not to enable them to sin or give them permission to sin, but to set them free from sin. The Jesus isn't here simply saying, well, hey, it's not a big deal. Don't worry about it, guys. I just like to party. No, he loves us. He loves you too much to enable you or to be permissive towards your sin. The reason that he calls you to follow him is because he knows that sin leads to destruction and death. And so he offers something better. He hangs out with these sinners, not to give them permission to continue, but to see them transformed, to see them forgiven, to see them made new. If that's what it doesn't mean, what does it mean? Well, very simply, what it means is that all this and all of this, the biblical Christianity, that faith, that following Jesus is all about grace. That it's not your righteousness that makes you fit to be a follower. 
It's not your own good deeds that make you fit to be a follower. No, man, Jesus calls sinners to follow him. It's all by his grace. He came to seek and save the lost. One example of somebody who's, who continued to stay amazed at this reality is the Apostle Paul. I mean, Paul had this pharisaical background. He, he was well-versed in that tradition of saying, hey, I used to look at myself and say, hey, I'm one of the good guys because look at all the good things that I've done in my life. Look at, look at my pedigree. Look at my education. Look at my moral performance. Look at my knowledge. I'm one of the good guys. And then he meets Jesus on the road to Damascus and he is transformed forever. And he realizes there is nothing that he could ever do that would earn his forgiveness or that would atone for his sin. And so for the rest of his earthly life, he stands utterly amazed at the grace of God. Look at what he says in 1 Timothy chapter 1. This saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. That Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. You see, in the picture that Jesus gives is of a doctor. And the doctor goes to the sick to help heal and mend. You see, and one of the reasons that it's so important to preach and to speak about sin as old-fashioned as it may be. You know, and I don't want to be up here and be some kind of caricature of an angry old school preacher banging the pulpit, yelling about sin and, and pointing the finger. But let me ask you this. Let's say that you go to the doctor to continue with Jesus' metaphor. And before the doctor enters the room, he or she sits there and reviews your charts and your blood work. And they're like, ooh, gross. That's a lot of itises, and this guy is sick. This gal is sick. But really, they're quite insecure. And they desperately want to be liked by you. So they come into the office, and you're sitting there eager. And rather than telling you the truth about your physical condition, they are mortified that you would be displeased with them. And they don't want you to be angry. So they say, oh my goodness, look at you. Just a specimen of physical fitness. They could write textbooks on you. Wow, you're just so full of life. Great, I'll see you at Pickleball next week. Would you be impressed with a doctor who cared far more about keeping you happy and having you like them than about telling you the truth? No. What do you want? As difficult as it may be, as hard as it may be to receive that truth, what do you actually want? A doctor who is willing to give you the truth and show you how you can be made well. That's why we talk about sin. Because Jesus calls sinners to follow him. The scandal of the gospel is that he welcomes sinners to himself. That Jesus invites sinners 
to follow him. And if you're here and deep down you think, you know what, I am such a failure. I've blown it again. I've sinned again. I can't get over this addiction. I can't get over this negative pattern of behavior. But here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to fix myself up. I'm going to improve myself. And once I finally get rid of these sins, once I finally clean myself up, once I finally deal with these addictions, then I'll, then I'll be more regular in my church attendance. Then I'll, then I'll get serious about my faith. But I can't come to God in this condition. Look at me. I'm messed up. I'm broken. I got to fix myself. No, if that's your attitude, if that's your heart, you're missing the grace of God. You don't fix yourself up, get all healthy, and then go to the doctor. There's no point. And in the spiritual sense, there is nothing that you can do to fix yourself. When you come, whether it's at your lowest or at your highest, it is all by God's grace. We're all tax collectors and sinners. We're all unworthy. And yet Jesus still looks and speaks today and says to you, I know who you are, but I still want you. Follow me. Repent, believe, follow me. Jesus calls sinners to follow him. May that always amaze you. Now there's one other important kind of note that I wanna make here. And I love this example that Matthew, that Levi has for us. Because he hears the call of Jesus and he begins to follow Jesus. And what's the first thing that he does? He has a dinner party where he introduces his friends to Jesus. And you can see, almost in essence, this missionary heart in his future worked out even here. Moments, hours after his conversion. And if you're here and you're a brand new Christian, you're a new follower of Christ, just like Matthew. Let me encourage you. Don't miss the opportunity of introducing your friends to Jesus. You know, sometimes when people come to faith, they become a Christian, they get connected to a church and they're like, oh my goodness, these people are not that bad. I thought they were all a bunch of weirdos. And most of them actually aren't. And they begin to make new friends because they've inherited a family, been saved into a family, and it's a beautiful thing. And they begin to make all these relationships, and they can neglect the missionally strategic relationships that they already have. Now, there's a time and a place when you're following Jesus to not, to not maintain certain relationships that are consistently dragging you down. There is a cost to following Jesus. And I don't want to deny that. But be very careful to not burn bridges 
that you could have walked across to share the gospel. And that if you have relationships and friendships with people who don't yet know Christ, that is a gift from God. So just like Matthew, look for ways to introduce your friends to Jesus rather than just cutting them out of your life and moving on with a new family. Jesus welcomes and invites sinners to follow him. If that's the good news for you and I today, that no matter what you've done, no matter who you are, he still wants you and he still says, follow me. That's the good news. Here's the warning from this passage. While Jesus calls sinners to follow him, he resists the self-righteous. He resists those who think they have arrived, those who think that grace is for other people. You see, the Pharisees thought holiness was just avoiding coming into contact with messy, sinful people. It was outward. But what we see in Scripture consistently is that the problem is not just out there. The problem's in here. Maybe you are fed up with the world. And you're thinking to yourself, I've had it. Judgment's coming. You've been stockpiling for years. You've got a bunker built in your basement. You don't care about permits or anything like that. You're going to go down into your bunker and you're going to wait it out. And you got your popcorn and you're waiting for judgment. Because this world's too sinful. And you're going to get away from it all. It doesn't matter, my friend, how deep you go into that bunker. You're never going to leave sin behind. Because you're carrying it with you. The issue isn't simply out there. The issue is in here. And these Pharisees had this obsession with making sure that outwardly everything looked good and their hearts were far from him. Whether you call it religion, self-righteousness, works-based salvation or whatever, this stuff is poison. And it is a risk for you and it is a risk for me. Because the longer you follow Jesus, the more amazed you ought to be at the grace that you have received. And that if you have been following Christ for decades, and over time you've been feeling more and more confidence and pride in your own abilities and performance, and less and less amazement that God would call a sinner like you to follow him. You are on dangerous ground. Self-righteousness is destructive and it steals your joy like nothing. There's a parable that Jesus tells in Luke chapter 18 that touches on this so beautifully. I want you to hear these words and to give it as much attention as you possibly can. This is from Luke chapter 18. He, that is Jesus, told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and they treated others with contempt. Listen to this parable from Jesus our Lord. Two men 
went up to the temple to pray. One a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you. I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like that tax collector over there. God, I thank you that I tithe of all that I get. I fast twice a week. I do all these things. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and the one who humbles himself will be exalted. One man went home justified. One man went home condemned. Do you see the risk, the danger of self-righteousness? And so let's be honest with each other. Be honest with your own heart. We have a Pharisee at the temple. We have a tax collector at the temple. Which of the two in this parable do you honestly resonate with more? Do you sit there and have these subtle little poisonous thoughts of God, I thank you that I'm not like those other families that are dysfunctional, that our little perfect, cute little family is better. God, I thank you that I know so much theology, not like all these wishy-washy Christians today. God, I thank you that I'm a committed member here at the church, unlike those people that just show up once in a while. God, I thank you that I'm holy and righteous and not like all these weirdos pushing all these agendas out there. God, I thank you that I'm better than those people. Do you see the subtlety of self-righteousness? How easily it can creep its way in? Or do you see yourself as the tax collector? Who just says, Lord, have mercy on me. I'm just a sinner saved by grace. And I marvel in at your grace. I, I stand amazed at your grace. I praise you because of your grace and your love and your mercy and your compassion towards me. See, some of you have been following Christ for decades. And let's be honest, outwardly at least, you're kind of nailing it. Right? You're not overcome with any significant gross sins you're pretty regular in your Bible reading, your attend, church attendance in your service. You've been following Jesus for decades and from outwardly speaking, you, you have it figured out. There is nothing that Satan wants more than to steal your joy and your amazement at the grace of God and make you turn inwardly and say, wow, God, I thank you. 
I thank you that I'm not like all these other people. See, instead, the longer that you have walked with Christ, as the years and decade, as they continue on, as you find measures of freedom and victory in Christ, is your amazement at the grace of God growing still? Are you more amazed at God's grace now than you were 20 years ago? Does your heart worship more at the mercy that you've received in Christ than you did 20 years ago? Self-righteousness is a subtle but deadly poison. So let me ask you, who do you look down on? Who are you tempted to play Pharisee with? Who do you find yourself saying, God, I thank you that I'm not like that kind of person? Be very cautious. Be very cautious of the subtle, poisonous reality of self-righteousness. May we as a church be a place in which the longer you have journeyed with Christ, the more you grow in health, the more you grow in obedience, you are actually at the same time growing more and more amazed at the grace of Jesus. That you are putting less stock and trust in your own abilities than ever before that you maintain that posture that says, Lord, I'm amazed that you would have mercy on me, a sinner. I know that in me, that is in my flesh, dwells no good thing. And it is wholly by the grace of God. You see, to sum it up, I would say this. Those who know that they have need are closer to being healed than those who think they've nailed it. If you're here thinking you're one of the good ones, that you're the one of the ones who has arrived, that grace is for other people, you are on dangerous ground and you need to repent and find joy again and amazement again and marvel again at the grace of God given to you in Christ. So let me ask you this. Are you sick spiritually? Are you sick spiritually and you feel it? Well, come to Jesus. Are you a sinner? Come to Jesus. Are you a self-righteous Pharisee? Come to Jesus. Hear his words. Follow me. Hear his word and obey because Jesus calls sinners to follow him, but he resists the self-righteous. Let me pray. Father, I confess that uh, it is very easy 
to give into and be tempted by self-righteousness, the ability and the desire to justify myself based on what I know or how well I've been doing. But I thank you that all of this is by grace. That you called Matthew, a sinner, a tax collector, to follow you. And you today, 2,000 years later, do the exact same thing. That this room is filled with people. Sinners who have heard the call to follow and have obeyed. Would you break us of every illusion of self-righteousness that we may be still carrying And that we as a people would stand consistently, constantly amazed at the grace that we have received. For every person here, Lord, every man, woman, and child, as we grow in you over the years, may we grow in our amazement at the grace of God revealed in Christ. For we ask this in his great name. Amen. And that does it for this episode of the Berean Podcast. All of our ministries at Berean are geared towards the mission of seeing lives transformed by the power of the gospel. If you would like to be connected with our church family or give to the mission of Berean, just jump online to our website at Berean mn.com. Thanks for listening today, and we pray that you are encouraged by today's episode. Be sure to like us on social media, and we'll see you here next time on the Berean Podcast.